This is The Guardian. Hi, everyone. It's Emma John here. It's been a while, but you may remember me from a little podcast called The Spin, which we made in happier times when England were winning a World Cup, Jofra Archer wasn't injured, and Ben Stokes was single-handedly winning Ashes tests. Well... While we've not been able to cover the current Ashes tour here on The Spin, we're providing daily thoughts and analysis via our sister podcast, Down Under, The Final Word, with my fellow Guardian writers, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Join us on Boxing Day for the third test in Melbourne, or if you're feeling really strong, you can listen back to what we made of the first two tests. Here's our latest episode, and if you want to hear more, just search for The Final Word Ashes Daily wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you on the other side of Christmas. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Welcome to the Final Word Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John and I'm here in the UK where those of us with an internet connection and the stomach for it have been following England's last gasp attempt to draw the second test. Over in Adelaide, my colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon have been following the action in the gathering gloom and possibly musing on the nature of pathetic fallacies. The light was fading, the shadows were growing, the fielders were clustered round the batters like vampires circling their next victim. Yes, it was another outdoor showing of twilight here at the Adelaide Oval. Unfortunately for England, there was to be no breaking dawn. Thanks to Joss Butler and Chris Wokes, England had maintained just enough hope throughout the afternoon to make the draw seem more than an academic theory. England had lost Ollie Pope in the third over of the day, giving interim captain Steve Smith his fifth catch of the game and even more reason to feel pleased with himself. And when Ben Stokes lost his battle with Nathan Lyon to a reviewed LBW, England were 105 for six, with two and a half sessions still to survive. But Joss Butler wanted his own shot at redemption. After his 15-ball duck in the first innings, he scored his first runs of the second off an edge between keeper and slip, which constituted Alex Carey's first mistake of the game. A couple more nicks landed short of the cordon, and more than once Jai Richardson had the ball whistling past his bat. But Butler toughed it all out, and even reeled off one backfoot drive that offered a glimpse of his dazzling one-day alter ego. At the other end, Wokes played strokes. It had worked for him in the first innings when he was one of only four England batters to reach double figures, and it worked for him here, until it didn't, driving Richardson for four, then immediately missing the ball that nipped back into him. 45 overs to bat and three wickets left. Ollie Robinson made a 39-ball stand, and when he was gone, Stuart Broad had a leg-before-appeal overturned on DRS to take England into the final session. In the end, almost too poignantly, it was Butler himself who gave the game away. Richardson forced him back in his crease, and Butler, looking for a single, took a while to notice he'd stepped on his stumps. The game ended just quarter of an hour later, with Australia 275 runs in credit, and England left once again in the dark. Now over to Jeff and Adam for the last right. So it's game over at Adelaide. In the 15th session, it got all the way to the bitter end and then Joss Butler stood on his stumps. I mean, what an amazing thing to happen. It happens so infrequently in Test cricket, full stop. But at that particular juncture, Butler had faced 207 balls for 26. This is a guy who's made like a number of one-day centuries that have taken 
place in fewer than 60 balls or something like that. I mean, this reminded me of AB de Villiers making 33 from 220 balls here, actually saving a test match in 2012, same ground. Um, but a prodigiously talented ball striker. But for him to do what he did today and to bat for such a long time, for it all to fall apart the way that it did, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a staggering intervention uh, on that final session. And Australia wrap it up shortly thereafter. It, it was quite literally staggering because he slipped over. The, his, his back foot slipped as he as he jumped back because he was quite sensibly he was playing really deep in his crease because Richardson was bowling short quite a bit and, and Butler was using that to get a bit more time to be able to deflect the ball away. He was trying to farm the strike a bit because he was batting with Stuart Broad um, and he'd managed it so nicely up until this point. I I really feel for him because you, I mean getting out to a a, a delivery that that has the better of you is one thing, but something like that. He must have just been so tired having been concentrating for so long. And also the fact that he turned it around from Pope getting out so early. So Mitchell Stark mm. bowls one quickly across him, slants it across, edge into the slip, Steve Smith catches it. And that's the sort of thing that means a team is going to slide. You know, they're going to be all out quickly and get it over and done with. That's the way it's supposed to go. But he didn't follow the script. And as as poor as England's batting has been from the top six, it was the keeper and four bowlers, effectively, who kept them in it and, and kept some hope because at the point he got out, what was left, about 25 overs? It was unlikely. You'd be thinking Broad would get out at some point, Anderson would get out at some point. But it was possible at that point. There was a glimmer. Yeah, I said on the call that it went to script in the end. It just took a lot longer than they thought it was going to take. And, I mean, this test match mirrored the test played here four years ago so closely for so much of it, even down to wickets falling early on the fifth day. And on that occasion, England lost six for 57 in 22 overs and we were out of here by dinner time. And that's what I thought was going to happen. And it probably would have happened if Alex Carey moved comfortably to his right. I mean, it would have required a dive, but it's a straightforward chance in front of first slip. Warner made room for the dive even at first slip, but Carey doesn't go. The ball by sex keeper and first slip. Butler off the mark. Otherwise, we're talking about three dreadful drop catches and a pair, uh, and you're probably talking about, I mean, maybe even replacing him for Melbourne, but instead he shows that he's more than just a pretty face. And look, we knew that with Butler. We know that he's made of tough stuff, but that was important for him. I think that'll go down as you know, maybe one of his most important test innings, which sounds daft given they lost the match by 275 runs and that he fell in the circumstances in which he did and they didn't win it anyway and all the rest of it. But just providing some belief for, him, for himself as much as anything else that he can duke it out with this attack and he has the powers of concentration that can extend to hour after hour after hour. Uh, not anyone can do that. Not any sort of uh, generic white ball thrasher can do that. You need to have another bit to you and, and, and Butler has. So that was reinforced today. Uh, and his contribution with Wokes, they've had it for 31 and a half overs, I think it was. I reckon there was about a 10-minute spell there just before Wokes gets out. Second new ball hasn't worked. Mm. Pitch is looking pretty flat. Lion's back on, albeit Lion is a threat with the hard ball. But, you know, the very fact that they didn't stick with the, the seam attack with the second new ball, we all assumed that Mitchell Stark would bust open England's middle and lower order there and then, but that didn't happen. Uh, so... You know, I think there was about 10, 15 minutes where it's not as though we thought England were going to save it from there, but it was like, well, it's genuinely on here. You know, the great escape is on here in much the same way that we experienced that extraordinary Australia draw against Pakistan at Dubai. It had that energy to it from my perspective here. It, it was possible. The, the possibility yeah. was, was you could see it on the horizon anyway. 
Yeah, I think that's it. All it is is at that stage of a test match, it's just like if you can break it down to what seems like an achievable bite, uh, a big enough mm-hmm. bite to put in your mouth and swallow. And I, I feel like, you know, 30 overs was that uh, when they took the final 15 minutes, it became 26 for the final session. You know, if Butler doesn't stand on his stumps, I mean, you know, all all, um, all irrelevant now, but just acknowledging that it was closer than, to them saving it than it will look in the final analysis of this game. So come back to that that partnership, that that point where it's broken. So Wokes has made 44, mm. um, batted really nicely for the most part. Mitchell Stark's got a bit of a back twinge. He's not looking comfortable when he's bowling. Cameron Green's got a slight side problem. The backroom staff have said they don't want him to bowl. Um, Smith is prepared to use him if he absolutely has to, but doesn't want to. Lyon's been bowling a lot and he's tired. And it's Jai Richardson who gets the breakthrough with what I think is pretty fair to call unplayable. Like if... I, I heard a lot of stuff on commentary saying Wokes was pushed back by the short ball he was playing back and thus he didn't get forward to the ball that, that castled him. If he had got forward to it, he would have been hit on the pad and been leg before. He yeah. jagged in off the seam so dramatically uh, that it pitched well outside off and knocked over middle stump. And if he'd got forward to it playing the line that he thought it was coming down on, he would have got nowhere near it either. So it, it just an extraordinarily skillful piece of bowling. When Joe Richardson started the day, he would have been unsure as to whether he or Michael Nisa would be the ones likely to play in Melbourne if Josh Hazelwood misses out. There wouldn't be any doubt now that it will be Richardson. That piece yeah. of skill, the pace that he had to push Butler back that brought about the mistake, you know, the credit does go to the bowler for that wicket. And then he picks up the last one as well with James Anderson uh, caught off an edge. He'd knocked over the openers last night. Five for 42 to win a test match in an Ashes match in your third test as an Australian player, having not played for nearly three years, is an extraordinary effort. It's special stuff. And look, I mean, is Richardson as quick as the bowler we saw two years ago? Like, I don't think he is. Like, I don't think out and out as quick. But is he more of a handful on the available evidence of what we've seen? I think he is. I know he didn't take a wicket in the first innings, but that opening spell when he kept beating the bat time and time again, I mean, he could have got in the, in the book quite early on there and he didn't, and he did mm. last night instead. And he took wickets across four separate spells. I think that's noteworthy too. It wasn't like he got them in a burst. He had to come back and back up and back up and back up. Different times of the day, resilient across 19.1 overs there after putting in a lot of work in the first innings as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's a great milestone for him, but also a crucial building block. Because when you talk about pecking order, I mean, Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, you can pick what, whatever order you want, but they are the big three and have been for four or five years now. You need depth. And Nisa didn't do anything wrong this week, by the way. He could have easily been the guy with the wickets next to his name, but it was Richardson. Instead, they play nine test matches in Asia next year. And we know when they go to Asia, they tend not to play you know, straight up and down the big three as such. They tend to mix it up a little bit. And if there ends up being a situation where Richardson or Nisa have to play bulk cricket in, say, Pakistan, no dramas. Mm. I mean, that, 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 is, that, is, that, is, that has been answered this week, I think, in Adelaide, on a hard, flat pitch for the most part, where they had to work hard and toil hard for their wickets. And then that, that dismissal of Wokes that went through the gate, that was gorgeous, uh, much as it was last night when he picked up Rory Burns and set him up around the wicket and when he um, took Hamid's thumb off to get him caught behind. Really high-quality wickets and he's a super classy operator who has just kind of put out a big statement on a huge stage and, yeah, remember the name. Uh, Nathan Lyon as well, 
what you know took two wickets which doesn't mm. look dominant on the scoreboard but so significant yeah the way he was switching over and around the wicket changing things up constantly had the variety had that sort of last day mojo back lots of close chances uh, got Stokes playing back to him a lot and then got the quicker one that just straightened a little bit um, and from from around the wicket and then went on to hit him in line um, Stokes reviewed but oh no it was at Australia he reviewed but it, it went Australia yeah it was, it was hitting the the leg stump, so it was almost almost that ball from Headingley, but um, <laughs> not quite because Stokes was so far back on his stumps. And then coming through to get Ollie Robinson as as well, which was important by that point, and that was clever from Lyon as well because he came, he'd been over the wicket to Robinson a lot, looking to get him at short leg. Came back around the wicket and bowled it almost a straight one. It, had a little bit of turn on it, but much less so than the ones that he'd been ripping into Robinson. And that one skids across, gets the edge into the hands at slip. Really good piece of bowling. Lions now the, uh, the got the most wickets for Australia at Adelaide Oval and deserves it. Yeah, equal with Warren on 56, all-time at Adelaide actually, but with uh, mm-hmm. two fewer test matches and, and going at three fewer runs per wicket. So that says a little bit. If he's kind of out-bowled Warren at this venue on that measure, um, that, yeah, that tells you a lot actually. Uh, and a ground that you know isn't historically known, I suppose even in pink ball context for being a spinner's paradise necessarily, it used to keep low here in the old days towards day four and five and the, and the seamers used to yeah. run a muck rather than turning big like it used to in, in Sydney. Uh, with Lyon... He bowled so frugally through the test. That was a criticism last year against India. He'd lost the ability to tie up an end. He wasn't bowling bulk maidens. Well, in this test match, he bowled 16 in the second innings after sending down 11 in the first. So 27 maidens in a test, that's really good going. And that review for Stokes, just to go through that in a bit more detail... Um, well, first of all, you know how sometimes you hear a piece of commentary that just comes true and it's a beautiful thing? Chris Rogers called that perfectly half an hour before. He goes, well, this is how he'll get – he'll get Stokes just like this, and so he did. But I love the way that – remember when Steve Smith was captain the first time around? It was truly scattergun. I mean, he's – I think he's the worst reviewer I've ever seen. Is that a reasonable mm-hmm. – I think I, I, I've never seen anyone as bad as Smith first time around as captain. It Cole, was, Coley's pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah. Coley's that's fair. Terrible. That's fair. He's as bad as Coley, right? He was as bad as Coley. Mm. I love the way he went through it. Asked Cameron Green what doing on height, you know. And I'm not saying that asking your, your backward point or your gully is the is the only thing you do. Mm. But he had 15 seconds and he used them well. He consulted Lyon last. Also, and Lyon's like, how, how does Cameron Green gauge height if he's looking at it from about <laughs> nine feet in the air? How does he know where it's hitting anyway? Yeah, it's true enough. But nevertheless, they went through that process. Then he went to line with about five seconds to go. And Lyon says, if the height's fine, it's hitting leg stump, you should review. It's like a, quite a mature, like sensible mm. reason to way of going about it. Lovely piece of bowling. I love the deliberative process, as I mentioned just then. They earned that. And, and at that stage, two wickets in the first, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes maybe, as I said off the top, I, I sort of thought we would be, um, you know, recording this in the, in the sunlight and going out for dinner and those types of things. But that was that, that preceded the fantastic partnership. But, yeah, absolutely. Lyon in the test takes, is it four wickets, five wickets all up, five all up, but he bowled better than that. He'll bowl worse than that and take seven or eight or nine or ten in matches. He has before and will again. So uh, Lyon absolutely has his mojo back, no question. Uh, Chris Wokes, the specialist number eight, um, seems to have been being picked in this team for that purpose. It, it almost paid off. Uh, it, he almost did, did the job for them. But I, I think for England, there's there's a risk in in trying to turn this into too much of a positive. I know that sounds bizarre for a team that's in the yeah. doldrums, but all of the the immediate 
kind of response can be, oh, well, they've fought hard and they can take something out of this. Their batting didn't. Their, their specialist bats didn't. They didn't fight hard. They folded again. And this kind of escape, while it would have been vastly cheering for them had they uh, got away with it, they would have been getting away with it. It doesn't solve their problems. It doesn't solve their structural problems. And I can't see how any of the possible replacements they can bring in for Boxing Day are going to change those problems either. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think that Wokes does provide quite a bit with the bat and could potentially provide quite a bit with the ball here. Just his numbers don't reflect that. So Wokes isn't necessarily the problem. Um, as you say, it's the batting, right? They bat one more session in the first innings and they save the test. They lost eight wickets across a 40-over period in the first innings. Case closed. You rarely win a test match if you lose eight wickets in 40 overs. And, and so it goes. But... I mean, structurally, if you go through the list, Rory Burns batted well last night. Hamid's shown enough. Milan's batted brilliantly at different times. So has Joe Root. I mean, you're looking at Ollie Pope, probably as the, the clear weak link at the moment at five. Sorry, make that at six. They've had uh, Stokes batting at five. So Pope, no, sorry, rather, it, it's, let me get that right. Who's yeah. batting at five? Who's batting at six? It's Stokes batting at five. Stokes and, five. And, and, yep. and Pope batting at six. I think there is a strong case for, for moving on on Pope, not because he's a bad cricketer. He's just a bloke who's out of form in the middle of an Ashes series in Australia. That's not a great combination, not a great place to start mm. playing yourself back into form. So that does open the door maybe to, to Dan Lawrence or maybe Johnny Bairstow, but uh, we'll see on that one. It's a shame they've sent the Lions squad home because I'd have Josh Bohannon in there myself, um, but – I mean, I've been saying this for three months, so I can't believe he wasn't in the main squad. Um, but you know what? Saqib Mahmood isn't in the main squad. He took four for in the big bash last night. So if they want an extra yard of pace and a bloke who can reverse swing the ball, um, they could do worse than looking at Saqib for Melbourne. I know that Melbourne's a really good surface at the moment. Talking to um, Damien Fleming about it today, like it's it's really, um, really improved across the last two or three summers. So um, it may not be that you need someone to reverse swing it, but he, you know, he could be a bolter for next week. Uh, and then the, the fundamental question around spin is do they back Jack Leach to bounce back from what happened in Brisbane if so he plays if they're worried about that then they have a problem because Don Bess would be I think in a similar boat to Ollie Pope not to say he's out of form desperately but you're asking a lot of a young player who the last time he was on the big big stage at Ahmedabad in March he, he didn't go well and you'd hate to see him taken apart on day one of a test match like Jack Leach was um, on day two last week at the Gabba and effectively get him out of, hit out of the series as well as their, as their second spinner. So that remains a predicament for them structurally. Mm. Um, in terms of the quality of Australia, I th this, is, this is interesting because certainly personally I've been underrating Australia all year. I thought they had, mm. a, had the wrong team for the T20 World Cup and they won it comfortably. Uh, I thought before this series that they had an advantage over England but the two teams weren't that far apart. They've dominated. They've done it without their two main fast bowlers. They've done it without their captain, with a stand-in captain. And they never looked like being headed here. They were front runners all the way. And mm. and I think I think people may talk up, oh, it got too close in the end, but it always felt like the wicket was going to come one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I share that view. I mean, I, I, I think that on the broader question of how good Australia are, I still think they're like a middling test team. I can't kind of shake that, but they've made good decisions at the, yeah. at the selection table. And you get you get rewarded for that at home, especially against a team who are ill-equipped to play against you. And by that, we're kind of returning to our conversation last night about speed. And England don't have it at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm sort of half-heartedly talking about Saqib Mahmood, but 
in their squad right now, they've got Mark Wood and that's it. And they're, they're unclear about whether they can even play a spinner. And if they do, they don't know which one. So on that basis, yeah. Travis Head is, is at the right time getting picked. Marcus Harris, I could go either way on that. We debated it last night. I'm not sure. I think there's a bit of a misconception around Kawaja. I picked this up in the comments to our show last night that, like, well, Warner should have been dropped in England, not Kawaja. The problem was Kawaja got dropped after Warner made 60 at, at Leeds. I mean, the timing was bung for Kawaja yeah. to replace Warner. I'm sure had that decision been made after the fourth test or, you know, that, that would have been a different one, but they'd moved and made the call. Um, so, yeah. if anything, Kawaja should have stayed instead of Harris. But anyway, that, that's, that's bygones. But... Um, yeah, I just feel as though Australia, despite not being even remotely as good as you think they would need to be to win 5-0, I feel like from here they probably win 5-0. And I don't even think the disparity between the teams is that huge. It's just a, a case that England don't have uh, the type of cattle that can seriously can compete here at the moment against an Australian team who are so well conditioned to winning at home and an outstanding bowling attack from head to toe. All five bowlers, class. We've seen that over the last two weeks. Expand that now to seven bowlers, including Cameron Green. The final word, Hall of Fame, is where we find the most final word moment of the day. I don't think, I, I know this is obvious, but I don't think it can be anything else but Josh Butler standing on his stumps. <laughs> and, and he didn't stand on his stumps in a bad, super uncontrolled way. He just went back and just nudged it with the back of yep. his heel. It was, it was um, as, as a, a correspondent, Billy Pratt, suggested to me, it was a piece of performance art underscoring the futility <laughs> of existence to be, you know... For, for Joss Butler to be 26 off 207 balls and then kick his sticks over, uh, it's it's it, it is over the humanity. Um, it's it's it belongs in the Hall of Fame. It probably deserves the top spot ever in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I, I share that <laughs> absolutely. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was on comms at the time, and it's like one of those kind of startled pieces of broadcasting you're like you have to kind of watch it three or four times to make sure you haven't imagined it like I haven't just missed the dismissal entirely have I um so yeah that'll I'll, I'll never forget that absolutely can I give you a wholesome one um yeah uh, uh, this was picked up on our call as well gold coin donation which means that anyone can you know kind of come along who wouldn't ordinarily come to the cricket and I went out the back to record a, a hit at lunch and there were so many young kids there with their parents who probably wouldn't have been coming to the test if not for the fact that it's, mm -hmm. you know, throw the gates open, chuck a gold coin in the box type thing. It's a great initiative doing it that way. I know that the way they do it in England's great too with 20 quid and everyone can go and, you know, because the ticket prices are so exorbitant there. But over here, I think it works so well that younger kids who perhaps wouldn't fit on a bustling test day with everyone on the piss, not everyone, but a lot of people on the piss, here, they, they can kind of enjoy it with 6,000 other people and, and get a taste for it. And what they would have witnessed today, uh, hopefully, will be the sort of thing that, that keeps them going and returning for years and years to come. I, I never forget my first day of Test cricket at the MCG in 1994. I talked to Flem about it all the time because he was very important that day. Um, <laughs> and I hope there's a whole bunch of kids who came here today who remember the day Joss Butler stood on his stumps and remember the day that Joe Richardson took 5 for 42. You, you can remember, like, what colour jumper the guy in front of you was wearing, like, how long the delay was for the train coming in. Like, your, your level of recall is, is somewhat frightening. Uh, yes. um, it's, you know, Dustin Hoffman with a, a box of dropped toothpicks. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we have come to the logical end of the show for the second test. It's the final word, Ashes Daily, which means we'll be back on... 
the 26th of December on Boxing Day in Melbourne. It'll be the third test. It'll be a Boxing Day test with the series still alive, crucially. Uh, England unlikely to win three back-to-back to, to win the Ashes, but yet you never know. Bradman Slot did it in 1937. Joe Root's a bit Bradman-y at the moment. So imagine we had a test. Imagine the- we had a test like the one that started in January 1937 at the MCG that was the middle of that series when Australia turned it all <laughs> around. You know, probably the greatest, most interesting test match ever played. We can dream, Jeff. Mm. Flip the batting order. Chris Wokes has shown <laughs> he should be up top. So do what Bradman did. Flip the batting order, Joe Root. Uh, we'll have other shows up on the Final Word podcast feed in between now and, and Boxing Day as oh, well. Jeff Lemon. I've got Adam one more. Collins. I've got one more Hall of Fame. Sorry, Jeff. I can't leave it yeah. out. Oh, I can't leave okay. it out. It's a late nomination. Yeah, sure. Stuart Broad kicking away his third delivery, then reviewing it. This this is like this is like someone running into the church when they're about yeah. to, and they say, "Does anybody have any reason why?" To, Broad, to object? you're like I Broad, do. Broad using DRS. Well, sorry, ha- having it used against him once and using it once himself before getting off the mark before tea with a massive smile on his face. But I just love the audacity of kicking away Nathan Lyon around the wicket and let off on the basis of height on it. One of those referrals when you watch the projection. You can't believe it. A nod to Stuart Broad. Um, he always keeps us thinking. All right. Final word. Ashes Daily. See you next time. Ta da. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail. That's it for today. Thanks from Jeff, Adam, and me for listening. We will see you back here on the 26th of December for the famous Boxing Day test in Melbourne. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a review, which will help more people to find us. This episode was produced by Sophia Tarek, and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Gabrielle Jackson and Melanie Tate.